Hello. How is everybody? Had some nice lunch, and here we are for the afternoon. Can you hear me? Barely. All right. We were hoping that, is that better? Okay. We were hoping to like walk around, but they're recording it, so we're sort of trapped back here. <laughs> um, so let me know if you can't hear me, because I do have a soft voice, and I recognize that. So just like wave to me or whatever if, if I need to speak a little bit louder. So I'm Kelly Barber. I'm with um, Marion City Schools. I'm the Student Services Director, and this is Kathy Butler. She's the Student Affairs Supervisor for Marion City Schools. And we're really happy to be here and super glad that you chose to come to our session. Um, just wanted to share with you what we've done this year, um, kind of something a little bit different related to um, social emotional learning and we call it um, social emotional DLT, so district leadership team and kind of put it in the context of like your academic DLT that you, that you all do uh, regularly, so. There are a few more seats up here. I see some of you sitting in the back, so unless that's your comfort zone, there's definitely more seats up front if you'd like to come up. Sorry, Kelly. You're fine. So we wanted to tell you a little bit about Marion, Ohio. If you haven't ever been there or not familiar, um, I think it's important to know our history and background because it really explains what drives um, our SEL, DLT, and the service that we feel is, is prudent uh, for this group to do. So um, Marion was kind of a, a real haven for industry back in the 70s, especially with um, Whirlpool and, um, and Marion Shovel being there and um, really had some you know, large contribution to the steel industry. And we all know uh, the history of, of that um, in our country and um, really hit hard in Marion and has left Marion um, really very impoverished over the last um, several decades. And that's really contributed to kind of where our um, students and families present right now um, in our school system. Marion County's medium income is about $10,000 less than the Ohio average and the Ohio average is, is uh, 49,000. So we're, you know, our median is already $10,000 less than um, you know other places in Ohio. So that's a really big you know kind of factor to keep in mind. Um, we are right on 23 and so we are very popular place and a stopping ground for um, drug uh, traffic that comes from Chicago and Detroit and they seem to like to stop on 95, exit 95 on 23 and so um, really have been hit hard with um, the opiate uh, use in Ohio and a lot of the, you know, the selling and all those kinds of things. So uh, that, of course, has contributed to how some of our students and families present with trauma and um, how they're coming, you know, rather ill-prepared for school compared to some other, you know, counties and children. You know, Delaware County, just 20 miles down the road, those children are completely different, uh, differently prepared. Um, so there's also uh, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation um, that reports Marion County um, 87 out of 88 in overall health behavior. So um, statistically, you know, we, we um, aren't at the top of some of, um, you know, the, where we would like to be in, in some of our health behaviors and choices that families and, and, and kids make. Um, the majority of our students are economically disadvantaged. Um, we do have 100% free and reduced lunch. Not everybody qualifies under that 100% free and reduced lunch, 
because we're able to get so many grants to supplement things because of our demographics. So it all really just, you know, pulls back to the, to the landscape of the demographics in Marion County. And our district is only about nine square miles. So we serve about 4,800 students. Um, we also have, you know, with that very uh, food insecure community, as well as um, two prisons that reside in Marion County. So not one, but two. And Marion County's population is, you know, about 45,000. So that, so to have two prisons reside there just brings, you know, again, some different um, challenges and things that we need to support our families with. Um, and therefore, you know, the trauma that our students bring in our adults experience as well um, severely impacts you know um, education opportunities and those are the things that we need to focus on even before sometimes we hit those academics Oh, so I didn't say exactly how many disadvantaged, but I said we have 100% free and reduced lunch, and, and that is supplemented through grants. So not, not every child qualifies. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, so I'm a little louder than Kelly, so tell me if I'm too loud then. Um, so Marion families, we know, um, face traumatic situations every day. Um, it is not abnormal for our students to come in after a drug raid at their house or domestic violence occurred that morning or they were hit or abused that morning. Um, so that's pretty normal day for most of our, the majority of our students. That's their life and they live in that chaos all of the time. Um, so really we have worked as a district to provide a lot of trauma-informed training for staff. Um, so the last couple years, we've really focused in on bringing in speakers that can focus on trauma and um, how that works and how the brain is different, which I'm sure all of you have heard at this point. Um, so we're really moving from that point of becoming trauma-informed to actually a trauma-sensitive school and trying to make that transition right now. So uh, we're definitely not perfect at it. Uh, we have a lot of things that we still need to do. But that is our goal as a district and what we're moving towards, um, which kind of led us to our social emotional learning district leadership team and one of the reasons why we started this process. Um, so most certainly we recognize that there are lots of different ways that we need to handle these kids and not one approach is going to fit all. So we just can't come in, which I see all the not heads nodding. You guys know this already. Um, we can't come in and just tell teachers that this is what you need to do for this student and that will fix the behavior uh, because that's not what works. And I'm certain that most of you know it's that relationship building piece um, that we need to do with the students and teaching our staff how to build those relationships with students in a meaningful way. Um, so that's really where we have focused in on this and then had to try to figure out like what barriers are we looking at um, and how do we want to address this. So we have moved to the MTSS model with the multiple tiers of support, student su supports, and um, had to really dig down into our data um, and just how important this is for us right now. I'll probably go the wrong way. I did. Um, so just as a little demographic, for overdoses in Ohio, um, Marion County is the, like, 
only dark one there in central Ohio. Um, so that kind of shows when Kelly was talking about the opioid crisis in our county. I don't know about you, but I always like to look to see where my county is. So if you want to find your county and see what color you are, the darker the county is, the worse off you are as far as overdoses. Um, so I hear, we, so we have some fellow support there in being a dark county. Um, so uh, most certainly for our area, we are the highest with that drug um, epidemic and we are moving from opioids to methamphetamines um, which seems to be the trend for a lot of counties right now um, but that's kind of where we are starting at huh. so with that said this past summer when we were just kind of looking at everything and, and planning professional development for the school year and thinking about what can we do different how can we support our adults our educators our staff because our students come in with you know so much trauma and it, it does it exhaust the adults and we want to be cognizant of of their emotional health as well we talked about you know what about if we you know incorporated a leadership team representative of some different you know people across the district to to focus in on those supports to talk about those supports to kind of try things on for size all those kinds of things and um we thought well, let's just kind of model it after, you know, academic, if you will, academic DLT. So um, we use that team to talk about processes, to talk about resources that we've required, resources we've found, resources that we are looking into. We have six elementaries, one middle school and one high school, and our, high, or our middle school actually has more students in it attending physically in the building than our high school because we have, like, Ohio State Marion and MTC, Marion Technical College, right in town. And so, you know, um, a career center, Tri-Rivers Career Center. So much like your high schools probably, you know, kids are doing different things, which is super exciting. But our middle school has a heavy population. All those six elementaries come into one. So we have different elementaries doing different things, different PBIS and all those kinds of things. Um, so what we uh, talked about was just, you know, building that awareness, collectively building that awareness across our district, building a common language, because we found, again, with six elementary schools, you know, feeding into one big middle school, we had kids who know different, different kind of behavior language, if you will, different ways to, you know, that they were supported as youngsters. And then all of a sudden they're middle schoolers. And we all know what happens when you're, you know, in sixth grade, like the wheels fall off and you're a teenager or preteen and all those hormones kick in and all that stuff. Um, so we wanted to talk about, you know, as a district, then some collective and common strategies that we can build. And um, we developed, um, we, we trained our elementaries on PACS, good behavior game. And, um, and that seemed to really, you know, we're in year one, um, but that really uh, made a difference as far as, you know, building that common language for, for um, students coming into sixth grade. And of course, the next couple of years will really, you know, tell the story for us as we get better at it. And as our students then, our younger students go into the middle school, they'll get more familiar with that language when they all come together. Sorry, this is super awkward with it our is. switching back and forth. Um, so now we're gonna get start getting into the little bit more fun stuff since we did the uh, kind of boring setup stuff already. Um, so as a um, as a district, we have uh, four pillars, and they're there on the bottom corner. And these are our goals as a district: um, leadership, learning, literacy, and legacy. 
And as part of the learning pillar, there's an academic piece, but there's also a social emotional piece. Um, and so with that, we needed to come up with five-year goals to be part of our plan. Um, and, but when you're thinking about, well, how do I measure social emotional learning? That's a little bit hard to come up with like a five-year plan for. Um, and a measurable goal. So we decided to take a look at our suspension data and decreasing those numbers because depending on what school you're at, middle schoolers and high schoolers were getting suspended off the charts. Our numbers were just everywhere. Like I think sometimes if maybe you cough and then the teacher's having a bad day, you got suspended. Um, I, that's not true. Please don't tell my <laughs> district I said that. Um, <laughs> but uh, it felt like. And then increasing our attendance uh, with House Bill 410. I know we put a lot of resources into uh, focusing on absence intervention plans for students and a lot of times with meetings. And we're having mixed results on whether we feel like those are productive for our students and our staff's time and the resources we're using for that. Um, so really to increase our attendance by 10% is our five-year goal and to decrease our number of days to under 2,800, um, which at the middle of this year, we were not doing well. Um, <laughs> we were, I think, at already 1,700 um, in, in November, um, and I'm pretty sure teachers' patience levels are not going to go down as May approaches. Um, so that's why that's a five-year plan, <laughs> because we are definitely not hitting that goal in a year. Um, but we really needed to step back and identify what supports do our students need. Um, we know that most of our children in our district go through some sort of trauma. Some of them horrific trauma and some of them, you know, just, I don't want to say just divorced parents because that can be very traumatic, um, but sometimes we're dealing with that. Sometimes we're dealing with both my parents are in prison and I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight and I'm in a car. So we kind of have the spectrum of where we're, um, what we're dealing with. But we, need, we know that we need to keep them in school. So what are we going to do to do that? So um, that's where we started. And uh, so as we were building our district leadership team, we had to decide who do we think should be on there. Um, so we have some teachers. We have our guidance counselors. We have our school social workers. Um, building level administration because clearly they're the ones that are dealing with that same kid in their office five times in one day. Um, our district level administration because according to our teachers, our ad district admin don't know what's going on in the buildings, right? I'm sure we're not the only district that hear that. Um, our nurses because we know they see a lot of our kids. A lot of the kids we're trying to reach show up in the nurse's office a lot. <laughs> Um, our community partners, which we've really done well with that this year, um, and linking with some non-traditional type places and um, bringing us all to the table together to work to meet these kids' needs. Um, and then our union representatives as well, um, so we can show how we're supporting the teachers. So. so this is the really fun part. Um, and I'm walking, I can't stand it anymore. Um, so we oops, um, utilize EduClimber um, as a district. Uh, we just started using this this year. It has lots of features that we're not good at using yet, um, but this is one feature. So we just started putting in um, incidents for students. 
So we were able to look at the major incidents. And so with that data as a district, all of the schools are putting in, if they have a major incident with the child, those are suspensions, uh, in-school suspension type things, if there's a fight. Um, so these are our major incidents. And with Edge Climber, it's kind of fun because um, every data point for us has a face. So when I'm in that, I can kind of go over it and I can hover over a face and it shows me that kid's name and I can click on him if I want more information. Um, but clearly, as you can see here, when I did this by grade, we have one grade level that sticks out, right? So <laughs> it is not kindergarten, no. Um, so these are our ninth grade students. So as a district, we were able to recognize that our kids transitioning from middle school to high school most certainly are not prepared because they are going in and they're having lots of incidents while they're at school. Um, so this was a great place for us to start um, and kind of really eye-opening when we were able to bring it to the team and pull up uh, real-time data and say this is where we're at. So this is our target population right now that we're working with. Add a couple things to that as well. So when we brought it to the district leadership team and showed them this, because Kathy and I, our superintendent and um, our data management supervisor, went to a conference in Grand Rapids, Michigan, to learn more about EduClimber and how to use the data and how to, um, you know, really manipulate it and, and understand it. When we brought that to the team. No one had really seen this yet, and it was really eye-opening, and we were able to talk about as a leadership team about that ninth grade class, for example, not student-specific, but global, like, look what's going on and what can we do? And then Kathy and I also lead weekly assistant principal meetings, um, and we were able to show this to them and have them be able to do this, you know, when they're meeting with their teachers and so forth. And um, it was really powerful because you can't argue with the data, right? I mean, it is what it is. Like there's, we all know we do this every day, but when you see that it's powerful and it, the conversation just goes, you know, to a better place, right? Of how we can support, what do we need to do? And so um, I'll share with you at the, uh, when we were talking about at the assistant principal meeting, what we were gonna do with this ninth grade class, our um, assistant principals that were attendants at the meeting were really rather emotional about what was going on. They were feeling that. They were supporting these kids over and over and over in the office. And when they actually saw the data, it was like, wow, I've seen that many students or those many things have really happened. And so they were able to creatively come up with, as a team, how to address this and um, were able to find a teacher that um, had some um, time in their afternoon that um, could meet with the students who would flag in the morning as concerns through some of the um, information submitted into EduClimber as far as their behavior, um, as far as even work completion. And um, then this teacher met with them in the afternoon and was building relationships. So it wasn't the guidance counselors that did that. It was actually this particular teacher. And it was really powerful because different people were owning what was going on in the building. And um, it was great because we were being proactively reactive to that ninth, you know, the ninth, ninth graders that, that needed more of us. And we were able to really know what that, that was. So we're not perfect at it. It's, this is year one, uh, but we're really excited about the potential and where this can, 
can take us. And um, it just, you know, it's kind of endless when you think of like all the, all the um, possibilities with it. And with Educlimber, we were also able to set up an early warning system so that between attendance, um, grades, and behavior weekly, you can run a report and it will drill down um, those particular features, and then those students are able to be, um, you know, invited into maybe uh, with our social workers or with the guidance counselor team to talk about, hey, last week this happened, what's going on, how can we help you, and and um, with, you know, 900 students in the building, um, it's a way to get, you know, some one-on-one -on -one time with them to understand how we can better support them. And it also, flipping that around, gives us a chance to see what teachers might need our support because if they're having classes that are experiencing a lot of behaviors, can we support them in behavior management techniques? Can we support them in trauma, trauma um, informed care? Can we, you know, do they need different resources? Do they need alternative seating? You know, all those kinds of conversations lend itself to the data that we were seeing. So it's really a neat, neat program. Grateful to have it. Um, and following up with what Kelly said, back to the early warning system. Um, so what I really like about that um, and how we have it set up through EduClimber is not everybody flags for behaviors, right? We have lots of kids who have traumatic things going on or something going on in their life and it's not, they're not showing it through behaviors because they're kids who withdraw or avoid. Um, and so we were able to look at then kids who stop coming to school or their grades all of a sudden spiral down. Those kids are still being um, picked up by that, whereas uh, many of the conversations before that truly just focused on who are the kids that keep ending up in the office and taking up all our time. Um, and we wanted to focus there, and we were leaving those other kids totally out of the conversation who have um, just as horrific things that they are going through. They just have different coping skills to deal with it. So. Um, so using uh, our data, uh, we're able to look at, and I'm sure this will be no surprise to anyone, what are our major things that we're seeing? Well, they were disruptive behavior and insubordination, right? And so I'm thinking, I have a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old at home. That makes total sense, right? That's the behaviors that we see, that I see out of my kids who have not experienced trauma that I'm aware of. Um, and I, when I'm not a social worker at home, don't always respond to it appropriately. Um, so this really lean, leans, brings us to um, what we need to focus in for our professional development. So how can we have our staff respond differently to these behaviors? Because my guess is 14-year-olds aren't gonna stop being mouthy. I'm thinking they're going to continue that. Um, middle schoolers are not going to stop having attitude. I think that will stay with them. Um, so what we can change is our staff behavior. So that whole behavior influences behavior piece. And um, you know, so what are we going to do for our staff? How can we train our staff to respond differently to that? Um, so when I look at like you know the major things we're looking at are not drugs in the school, or even really physical fights. Yes, they happen in our school buildings, but when we're looking at most of our data, it's that disrespectful, disruptive behavior, insubordination type stuff. So if we can get that under control and have our staff stop, start responding differently to that piece, then those other pieces will hopefully fall in line. Um, or um, we have time to deal with those more because we're not already worn down from that kid who keeps telling us to F off every period so 
Sure. Do you want to? Yeah. I just wanted to add a few more things to that. So thinking about the MTSS uh, implementation this year, and so I call it a morph over from RTI, if you will, um, we also wanted to, you know, make sure that the teachers knew, like, a variety or were offered a variety of um, behavior techniques, if you will, or interventions for when, you know, uh, there were intolerable behaviors in the classroom. And everybody measures that a little bit different according to your your own story, right? What you will tolerate, what's acceptable, the relationship you have built with the students, all sorts of factors. And what we discovered was um, that was kind of allowed in and, and um, you know, loud and proud, I guess, cry from the teachers was just, you know, just tell us what we need to do. Like, we don't know what to do anymore kind of thing, especially as the year got on. So we've um, done a lot of, um, when we meet with our assistant principals, when we meet with our principals, we've done a lot of if then. So what do you do if, you know, this happens, then what? And at first we were getting things like, um, you know, if a student leaves class and I have a conversation with them. So then we had to say, okay, like, we want the drill down stuff. Like, we already know that. You know, we need to collect all of these things for our tier one and tier two interventions, um, in, in still incorporating PBIS in the packs and those kinds of things. But, like, what do you do? And then allowing the principals and assistant principals to compare that, especially across the elementaries. You know, what are you doing when this happens and what are you doing and learning from each other? And that's really, really been uh, powerful. And then discovering some of those things and actually like check in, check outs and a real common tier too, but not everybody knew that. And so looking at this data and looking, um, you know, at where, where it hits and looking at this, um, you know, identifying, well, what is uh, disrespect and insubordination to you, to you, to you, and how you're tolerating and you're building it differently um, in another building has brought again, some more common ideas across our district. Like I said earlier, we're only nine miles, but we do nine million different things to support the students. So we're trying to you know, bring that together so everybody has a tool chest that's similar because we also have students who go across the district. You know, um, Maybe they're living with grandma at the beginning of the year and by Christmas they're back in mom and dad's custody or a care, different caregiver's custody or we have students coming in from other districts. And so, you know, having the opportunity to have these conversations and get everyone together has been really powerful for us, which seems, I know it seems kind of like common sense, but when you're living this it, and you're seeing a change, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, one of the things that we did recently um, was really taking our principals have spent a lot of time this year with, in OILI 4 and so we wanted to make sure that we were cognizant of that Ohio improvement process and tying everything we're doing into that and you know the first step of OIP is identify your critical needs so that's what the SEL DLT team has spent a lot of time doing is identifying those critical needs which we just saw in some of the uh, suspension and behavior data. So um, what we've done just most recently in our last, um, in February, this month's um, um, sessions have been um, looking at the building data versus the district data. And one of our buildings, um, well, actually it was middle school, said, you know, I feel like there's so much going on with some of our behaviors. And when they actually looked at the numbers, it was only 3% of the students in the whole building. So that made a lot of the teachers feel better too. Like, oh really? Wow, that's only 3%, you know what I mean? And so then it becomes, 
like, you know, just kind of like this, a little bit of a relief, you know, your shoulders kind of go down a little bit, you're not as tense. And then we look at those faces, if you will, and we can chunk, like maybe someone really knows this group of kids better and this group of kids better, and we can support them. 3% doesn't sound like a lot, but when you look at a graph, it looks cute, you know what I mean? It looks huge. So we spent some time just, you know, having people look at their data and how to manipulate that that way. Um, and then why are you um, doing suspensions? We have two elementaries that only had five suspensions so far this year. And so I wanted to know why, and then I sort of kind of put in there, and are you recording everything accurately? <laughs> I felt like I had to say that part, you know, <laughs> which they weren't happy to hear me say, but it's okay. Um, we have to challenge each other that way. We have to have some of those critical, authentic conversations, right? Um, making sure that we're recording the ERs and all those kinds of things. Um, so we did. We spent some time using OIP and talking about um, step one, identifying the critical needs, and then step two, which would be, so what are we going to do about it? And determining strategies per for prevention. Um, and I think when uh, up there we had going back to the root cause and uh, uh, reflecting on our keynote speakers uh, this morning, you know, I know that for one kid we identified this year. So our students have um, free breakfast, free lunch. Um, so every day they come in and they get fed and that's a guarantee and they don't have to pay for it and that's, that's great. However, um, free breakfast, free lunch looks the same as if you're five years old or if you're 15 years old. And uh, my 14-year-old son eats a lot more than my nine-year-old son eats. Um, so we had students that were still hungry. So I know for one young man, um, and he actually is in one of our uh, alternative school placements, um, for him every day, for him to not end up in a fight by 10 o'clock, we have to feed him extra. And we know that. And so we have teachers on the slide taking extra breakfasts and hiding them because uh, our food service represents person probably hopefully is not in here um, <laughs> because she would not agree with this recording of the numbers um, but so we do things like that as a staff because we know that if we can meet that kids basic human need of hunger then um, we are going to have a much better day and that child has the opportunity to learn that day so looking for that root cause is going to be different from every kid um, some kids we they will be external and we'll be able to identify them uh, some of those kids they will be internal it may be that I drank coffee today and when I talk to you my breath smells like coffee and the person who hurts you drinks coffee and that could be the trigger and I will never know that um, and so just being aware of those things and that it could be and if you're the person that triggers knowing that it's okay to tap out to someone else um, so someone might hate me which some people do, um, but they might love Kelly. So I have to be okay with that. And I can't think, oh, this is my kid, my student. I'm the one, like I'm the social worker. I'm supposed to be the one that's be able to talk to them. If it's the janitor, if it's the cook, whomever it is that can connect with that child, that's who we let them connect with then. Um, so looking at those root causes, knowing that you don't have to be the one identifying and being creative on other people that can do it and help you in this journey. Um, and then like, it also helps that you don't have to feel like you have to carry all of those kids. So 
Um, but when we look at who has boots on the ground in our buildings, obviously our principals, our assistant principals, and our social workers, which I forgot to add up there, um, are the ones that deal with the kids on a regular basis. So when we're checking in, uh, Kelly had mentioned we have those assistant principal meetings. Um, so we are talking with them a couple times a month about what's going on and keeping track of that and identifying if there's new needs. Um, I meet with our social workers weekly. Um, so we are able, if there's something else that's really coming in, so like if there's a bad bet, batch of drugs that are in the district um, and that we have lots of people who are overdosing, um, when I meet with our social workers from every building, we're able to get like, is that happening right now? Is that something that we need to be more aware of? Do we need to let our teachers know to be more sensitive to those types of things? Or if they have kids that are in those environments, um, that stuff might be going on. So that's just something that, um, you know, making sure that it's not just us at the admin level, but we're the people who are in the trenches every day need to be part of this conversation. So um, during our SELDLT meetings, we meet once a month from 7.30 to 9 in the morning. And um, that works great for our um, secondary 6 through 12 staff because they're reporting right around 7.15, 7.30 in the morning. Um, but our elementary folks, that's an earlier start for them. Our um, day for the elementary teachers don't start until 8.15. So um, we do pay our academic DLT. Um, people like a stipend, and this year because it's a new SEL DLT is new, you know that kind of wasn't in our budget plan, and so people have just volunteered to to join from the elementary from a, like a teacher perspective. So that's worked out really well because um, you know we appreciate their interest in in supporting this. I know um, a couple of people have asked us that, like, well, how are you doing that with with schedules and and con you know contractual days and stuff like that? So I wanted to mention that too that we're fortunate that we had people that were of interest and they and they volunteered if it didn't if it was outside of their day. Um, so within that group, we've um, identified tier one, tier two, and tier three interventions uh, that are available, and we've got uh, people kind of caught up on that, and we add to it. Every time we meet, we ask them, what have you done different or new so we can you know, have this inventory for everybody? Um, and, and then we also talk about the gaps because um, we have great conversation, but we know we have a long way to go, and we're totally okay with that. Like We're being authentic about it. Um, one of my favorite quotes by Meryl, um, Streep is you got you got to start to start and I'm just gonna say that again because I think it's pretty powerful you have to start to start so you have to start somewhere so that's what we did this year with the SEL DLT and um, and we know there's we know there's gaps and there's a, a long list of gaps but it's okay we'll, we'll plug away at it you know and sometimes you can get two for one on those you know you can cross a couple off at one time if you get a really great idea so that's a good feeling um, but uh, we've also um, really focused on professional uh, development. We've talked about as a district how we could make next year look different than this year. Right now we have a contract that, um, a calendar, excuse me, that has like three waiver days or PD days, whatever you want to call them, uh, throughout the year. And then we've, we've talked about next year, you know, exploring having more PD days and less of that early release time. This year we have a Wednesday early, weekly early release. So um, we've brought some of those conversations to the SEL DLT and just, you know, there's a variety, a landscape of voices represented there. So we've, you know, taken a lot of that into consideration. Um, and it's a great place to get people's thoughts on things. 
and um, they know that they're not, you know, they're not a decision-making body, and um, but it's it's they're a voice for the district, and that that's been great. Um, surveying the students, we've looked at um, and talked about how we can do this. What of our student needs? Um, Kathy's going to the one assessment um, information. We're looking at a an SEL assessment. I don't know if you have adopted one in your district we'd be we'd love to know if you have and how it's going and which one it is because um, we we know we need to do that obviously um, and then just implementation of interventions and um, pi kind of piloting things in small pockets and learning from each other um, we have uh, some people here in in, in um, kind of our audience if you will um, and one is is Abby Ackerman and she's um, one of our um, really uh, effective intervention specialists who work with um, kids with emotional um, behaviors in the district. And she has a book that we all love, and so we're doing a book study on it. So we're, we've, we're learning from each other, and, um, and that's been really powerful. And if um, you ever want to follow her on Twitter, she always has really great stuff for behaviors on there. Um, but what are we doing different? Um, we're doing lots of different interventions. We're um, implementing transition days, SALDLT, early in the fall. I think it was maybe October. So that was our second meeting. We, we met in September, then our second one was in October. And um, so everybody was kind of tucked in then, you know, and we were talking about how, how's it going? How's the school year going for you? And we were talking about like, these groups of kids that were on fire and some were of course the ninth graders and then we recognized there were sixth graders and some of our kindergartners um, come with maybe no school exposure experience or limited of maybe they've had preschool with us in the city or maybe they've had opportunities like with head start or or different you know like a private church kind of thing and everybody comes with different experiences um and so we were you know just kind of talking about that and we spent you know the whole time talking about the importance of transition and what could that look like and how could we transition our kindergartners you know um fifth six fifth to six and eighth to ninth and um it really bled into then cabinet conversations and um all of those um tips and suggestions and so forth really kind of came um to um a really great natural culmination this past uh, board meeting we had and we presented it to the board as the need to have transition days and to put those in our calendar and I know a lot of you might have those already we just hadn't and we um, were kind of staggering kids in and out at different times and so um, we, we recognize and, and heard from the teachers um, the majority of our teachers really you know, we're interested in what those transition days could look like. So the buildings can plan them, but it's not a work day for the teachers who aren't on those magical grade levels, right? It's how can we bring all of those, um, you know, critical, critical grades, critical students in those grades um, and support them. And, and we don't know what that's going to look like yet because the buildings are going to plan it themselves, but we don't want it to be like a top-down thing, right? It should come from the building and what the teachers want in each building. So one elementary might do a little bit different for kindergarten transition day than someone else, but it's going to be our first day, potentially our first day of school. So it's on the calendar, um, which is it's really really exciting for, for us. It's, it's new for us. Um, so if you guys already do something like that, we would, we would love to know how it's working and what it looks like in your district. Um, we have a um, peer mentoring um, process and um, program, and it's paired with the YMCA. 
in our community. And this year, we've really increased that as a tier two um, in getting um, mentors for students in, in our community as we've kind of goes back to our demographics, really benefit from mentors. And we have all sorts of different people who are interested in the adults mentoring the students. And some of them are because they've had wonderful childhood experiences and they want to give back and share. Others are they can identify what our students are experiencing and everything in between. So that's been critical. Um, we also, um, something that's not on here is we just hired um, a, uh, a diversity and equity um, supervisor and um, his name's Johnny Jackson and he's spent a lot he's from the community um, and has spent a lot of time like in Korea and doing different things teaching different in different countries and um, has brought to us just some different experiences and and um, being from the community has helped a lot of people know Johnny and so that's been great he's doing all sorts of different group work in three months time that he's been with us so if you don't have that position it's something that you know, I know it's hard. Don't tell your treasure. I'm saying get another person, right? But um, it's really made a difference in our in our community. Um, I'm gonna have Kathy talk about the care team process because that's part of our MTSS and something that we're really super proud of right now, and uh, the intake reentry. Um, and I'm gonna circle back real quick too. Um, we had on there survey the students on the slide before. Um, and so that is something that we have done with our ninth grade students. And actually Kelly talked about our um, Marion Mentors Program, which is an adult uh, mentoring a student. But with the ninth graders uh, on their survey, so in all true 14 year old child talk, um, so some of the response were like, uh, what can we do to make your school experience better? IDK. Um, so that was a lot of them. However, we did also have some pretty insightful things. Um, so the peer mentoring that's up here is actually the students were saying um, we, to make our transition better and to know what to expect, um, we, we need to hear it from kids who've been through it. Uh, we don't want to hear it from you adults. Uh, we want to hear it from students. And some of them went as far to say as, I don't even want to hear it from a senior. I want to hear it from a sophomore. I want to hear it from someone who just went through it. Um, so starting next year, we are having our um, freshman students that are identified as at-risk students partnered with a sophomore student uh, to help them guide through some of the things. So uh, one example that was given is, I didn't know my grades were gonna count this year. Um, <laughs> because I've always failed, and I've always moved on to the next grade. So what is this you're telling me now? Why should I care now? I failed eighth grade, I failed seventh grade, I failed sixth grade, and I kept moving forward. So why now does it matter? Um, so we're hoping uh, that partnering with a student, since I know as adults, we've been telling them your grades matter and you have to get so many credits in high school to graduate, uh, but they didn't believe us, surprise. Um, so hopefully hearing it from other students. And that was something that's pretty powerful because it comes from their voice. So um, some of the kids who filled out that survey this year will now be the sophomores that are mentoring those kids next year. Um, so. That's a piece that we're going to be starting and pretty excited about. Um, and we also started our district and community care team. Um, so those tier three kids, right? The ones that no one knows what else to do with. Um, so we have a, um, as a district now, uh, through our student services team, uh, we have 
about four of us that are identified to go in and sit down. Uh, sometimes the families are included. Uh, sometimes it's just staff, depending on the situation, and we'll have a family meeting after um, to identify like what resources are available for this student, what else can we do with this student. So for me, uh, before I started working at the school, I have like 16 years in child welfare. Uh, that's my background, that's where I did most of my work, and so referring families to community resources is something that I've done my entire career. However, when I talk to teachers, that is not what they're experienced at. Like, they don't know those resources. Um, so it's an opportunity to bring someone with knowledge that I have or that other people on our team have to the table to know how to help these families. Um, and so sometimes, though, that's not good enough, right? <laughs> sometimes a referral to counseling or a referral to a food pantry or a referral somewhere else isn't what we need, and we need some more severe um, interventions. So um, as a community, actually, and there are some other Marion County schools in the room, uh, so this is available to you as well. Um, we have, through our Family and Children First Council, uh, a community service review collaboration. And uh, with that, as long as the parent signs a release, I'm able to take a kid to the table. And at that table, I have juvenile court. I have children's services. I have the schools. I have the uh, Board of Developmental Disabilities. Um, so basically, all of the who's who of wraparound services within our county are at that table. And we're able to staff those cases then. And that doesn't mean necessarily that I need services from all of those places. but at that table there's a lot of um, collective experience as to what resources might work for this family um, and if we need to there's a service coordinator that can go in and work more individually with the families um, so that's been a great addition and then this year uh, we just started it and i think we have about 30 families already being served by that um, so those are kids that usually are out at risk for out-of-home placement kids that are looking at maybe residential facilities if we don't get something done beforehand. Um, <clears throat> as a children's services worker, I have all kinds of thoughts about residential facilities. I will just tell you that I don't think usually kids come out better at the end. Um, from what I've seen, usually uh, they come out oh, with less coping skills and more behaviors that they learned while they were there. Um, so. When it's necessary, it's necessary. Um, however, if we can find ways to keep kids safe in our community, that's what we want to do. Um, we also have started an intake reentry form meetings. So before, uh, juvenile court would like, a kid would get out of JDC and they would show up at school the next day. There was no like in between. So you see lots of heads nodding. So you guys have the same experience. Um, Kids would get out of residential placement through children's services, and then they're there to enroll back in school. Um, so we didn't have any time to plan for those kids. And we really had to work with our community partners to say, before they start school, we need to have a meeting. And at that meeting, we have that building principal or guidance counselor or social worker, uh, someone from our student services team, and we're able to go through, like, what's their trigger? And the kids, we try to have them there. Uh, so a kid will say, like, I can't have this teacher because we're not there. We're not okay. <laughs> um, so we are able to, like, look at their schedule and try to have them be successful. Uh, we have one student who, for PE credit, um, anytime during the day that that student needs to get up and, like, walk, he has a pedometer, he puts it on, and he walks and he gets his gym credit. 
So uh, that is his coping strategy. That's how he calms down is taking a walk. Um, it has kept us from having assault charges filed on him because before that he was fighting in school. Um, so just being creative in how we look at it. Um, another kid actually just last week, I was super excited because most of the re-entry re meetings have been going like coming up with super elaborate plans on how to keep everyone safe in the building. Um, but one kiddo, we started meeting and apparently he worked his tail off in JDC because he now, we're just looking at early graduation because he was gone, he left with like two credits and he's coming back to us and he only needs a half a credit. So um, what I thought was going to be a meeting of lots of planning on how to do stuff, once we looked at where he's at now, we really just had to figure out how he needs to get a half a credit and he's graduating early. So like that's super exciting because when, if we had not had that meeting, he would have come in, he would have been placed on a regular junior schedule because that's where we had him at. Um, and instead we're looking at early graduation for him. Um, so those meetings are really worthwhile, um, but they take a lot of work with your community partners because they have to let you know those kids are coming back. Uh, he's through our Family and Children First Council. So uh, we partner with our Adam Board and our Family and Children First Council a lot for that. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, the survey that you gave, um, paper, pencil, was that online? It's a Google Doc. Google Doc. Mm -hmm. That our high school, yeah, our high school, sorry, not Google Doc, Google Form, yeah. <laughs> um, our High school assistant principals created that, um, trying to figure out what they really needed to focus in on. We have not yet. Um, it is something we are planning to do, but as if you recall earlier, they were our big spike, so they were really the ones we focused in on first. If you come up, if you want to meet with me afterwards, uh, I'll get your email address and I'll email it to you. So, because <laughs> I didn't create it, so I don't have it. Yeah. But any other questions? Okay. Oh, well, we're super fast then. Um, so, if you have any questions, uh, we are up here, and I'm sure that uh, there's lots of stuff that we have done that we did not include in there, because to be real honest, we weren't sure how long we were talking until we went back and reread the email yesterday. Um, <laughs> so uh, if you have any questions, uh, our contact information is up there, or if you want to touch base with us, we will stay after for a few minutes. Um, but most certainly, we'd be happy to answer any questions that you have.